You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and we're just a few weeks away from our 300th episode. Not only that, we're also a few weeks away from our 300th episode celebration here in New York City. I'm telling you, it's going to be a really fun night. It takes place on June 14th at the Green Space, and I'll be hosting a panel with three of the most esteemed designers in the industry, Gail Anderson, Eddie Opara, and Kat Small. They've also all been guests on Revision Path as well. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss this. Tickets are on sale right now, so you can head over to eventbrite.com. Just search for Revision Path when you get there, or check out the show notes for the ticket link. Don't wait. Get your tickets today. Now let's get into this week's interview. We're talking with Brett Marshall, Principal Designer at Central Square in San Diego, California. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. I am Brett Marshall. I'm a principal designer at Central Square living in San Diego. Talk to me a little bit about the work that you're doing at Central Square. You know, it's really interesting. Central Square is a public safety company and a a public administration company. So uh, what that means essentially is that they uh, work with municipalities and cities uh, to provide solutions for uh, for the public admin side, you know, things like bill pay. Um, that's that's the one I always kind of go to. I don't work on the public admin side. Uh, so that's that's one of the ones I know, uh, like uh, city inspections, that sort of thing for, uh, you know, government, government employees. They use that software. Uh, I work mostly on the public safety side, which, um, you know, is generally more exciting. You know, we're working with uh, first responders, so uh, police officers, firefighters, EMTs, uh, you know, dispatchers, you know, the, the people that answer the phone when you call 911. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a really interesting transition from, you know, working in an agency environment to, you know, then working on things that are, you know, long-term products that have been around for a long time and have, you know, literally life or death, uh, you know, consequences to you based on, uh, you know, the design decisions that you've made. Yeah. I mean, when I think about government software, I do not think of good design. (laughs) Like those two things just don't tend to mesh well. I'll give you I'll give you an example. So this was maybe about, oh, my God, this might have been 10. Yeah, this was 10 years ago. Wow. Time flies. So this was 10 years ago. I was working on a mayoral campaign and the candidate that I was working with, uh, she had this idea to do something that was called uh, Accountability Atlanta. And the reason she wanted to do that is because she wanted to have a well-designed interface for people to interact with city government services. So whether it was like trash pickup, uh, reporting an outage for something, you know, the things that people would normally reach out to city government for. Sure. Uh, Because what happened was I think folks would find that the initial way to do so was confusing. It wasn't well-designed. It didn't make sense. And so she wanted to have a more well-designed sort of modern interface to make all this work. Long story short, she didn't win, so I don't think this was ever implemented. But that always sort of got me to thinking about how it is that, I don't know, design just doesn't seem to fall into the realm of kind of city municipality software like that. It always seems to be such a, it seems to be more the domain of engineers than of designers. 
No, that's, that's pretty much spot on. Um, you know, it's interesting within this industry, I, I mentioned early on that, you know, you're making life or death sort of design decisions. Um, and that's true. But if you take a look at, you know, the, uh, the sort of space for public safety or, you know, just city, you know, websites and applications in general, you know, the bar is extremely yeah. low. Uh, <laughs> you could really just slap on a new coat of paint and people would be happy. Um, now that's not, you know, kind of what we do. We're, we're going in and, and refixing or fixing all the workflows and, you know, making things easier, uh, more easily identifiable, identifiable in addition to making mm-hmm. things look a lot better. I think the biggest thing is, you know, there's always a lot of uh, constraints and sort of gotchas within, you know, working in these sort of, in this industry and, you know, public safety and uh, public administration where, you know, nothing's, you know, 100%, you know, straightforward and clean. There's always, but did you think about this mm-hmm. sort of statements with most decisions? Um, and it can be really easy to sort of say, fine, like whatever, let's just go with this. And you're not quite satisfied with it and it doesn't perform the way you'd like or, you know, it doesn't look as clean as you'd want. And it's just a lot of, uh, you know, companies out there, you know, just based on, you know, the output, sort of leave it at that. They'll sort of get halfway there and they'll give you kind of a C minus effort, assuming that they have actual designers mm-hmm. there. Uh, but for the most part, you're right. They they don't have any designers. Uh, when I first joined Central Square, I was one of the, you know, first uh designer hires there uh my director had come on you know about three to five months earlier um so it's a pretty new you know endeavor uh for the industry in general you know just kind of looking at the competition mm-hmm. uh there's not very many uh companies companies out there that actually have designers so um sort of winning by <laughs> winning by default kind of right now uh but um you know, a lot of our stuff hasn't been super released yet. We've showed it at a couple of conferences. Uh, it's been really well received. Um, you know, in general, we kind of say that our, our client base is, uh, you know, resistant to change. And that's sort of been the mantra uh, up until design sort of came into the uh, organization. Uh, and after we've shown it at a couple of conferences, done a bunch of usability tests, uh, that's not really what people tend to believe anymore, at least once, you know, design is involved. Because it's really just, have you considered all of the constraints? Have you talked to enough users to believe that your solution is actually what's going to work for them? Um, and that's what we've done so far. So we've kind of changed that narrative from, well, we can't change anything because they'll hate it to, well, we've sort of went off and, and found all the, the, the situations that can occur and we've accounted for those and, you know, users are really happy. So that's what we've kind of transitioned to. What are some of those constraints? Yeah. So let me see. I'll talk about, um, uh, a police officer scenario. So one of the things that we have to think about, um, is officer safety, right? So one thing that probably seems pretty straightforward is, you know, I get a message from someone or something changes um, on an incident, you know, you'd expect a notification to come in. Hey, this thing has changed. Hey, you got a message from from this other person. Um, one of the things that you know, separates this a little bit is we don't know if the person's actually looking at the screen Mm. and this could be really important. We don't know if that person's even in the vehicle. So how do we ensure that that is read, but also not clutter up the screen? 
Um, so those are some of the constraints that we have to think about. Ultimately, we ended up saying like, okay, well, we can make a reasonable assumption that if someone interacts with the screen, they've seen the notification that is you know, pretty front and center on the screen. So we're going to show all of those notifications that come in until you interact with the screen in some capa- some capacity. So uh, if there's a tab that's closed and there's something that's updated inside of it, we show an indicator on that. Um, once they open that and it's actually within view, uh, then that that indicator would go away. It would read as kind of like, "Hey, this is being this is already read," and then you can kind of move on from there. So that's just like a really quick example of things that you would think are really straightforward, things that you could probably get in a UI kit, but then in practice, uh, it doesn't really, uh, you know, work out the way that you would think. So it sounds like some of those specific design needs aren't always necessarily visual. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of um, a lot of the things that we have to do, we have to think about, you know, options that are going to be turned on and off by the administrators that set up the software for uh, for the uh, for the customers. So. Um, all of these different agencies have different, um, I mean, they have pretty much the same needs. They like to organize things a little bit differently or their city structure is a little bit different. So they want to see, you know, I want to see, uh, you know, these five locations. I don't want these to be in these different colors. So my dispatchers can say, oh, I can take a look at it in a really quick glance and I can say, oh, this is in you know, Mid-City in San Diego. Oh, this is in Coronado in San Diego. Um, you know, things like that. That's really interesting how, I mean, of course, that sort of organizational aspect. I wonder how much, though, does that differ from, like we're giving police officers as an example. Mm-hmm. What about, say, for emergency 911 operators or for firefighters? Right. Uh, do you find that it's kind of the same type of thing? Um, yeah. You know, um, it's, it's really interesting. One of the... One of the biggest differences and one of the the bigger challenges that we've had is, you know, we're working on, at least on the public safety side, there's around nine applications that are active and being used by customers out in the wild. And uh, one of the initiatives early on was how do we unify these? How do we make it easier? Uh, so the sort of natural reach is like, oh, we should like create a design system, right? So um, one of the bigger you know, things to worry about in that scenario is how do we create a design system for a dispatcher, like you mentioned, and, uh, you know, a police officer in the vehicle, um, which, you know, maybe that doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but when you consider the sort of inputs, and if you've ever been like inside of a dispatch center, which probably isn't super relatable to many people, you pr- not many people are probably going <laughs> in a dispatch center, um, but essentially you'll sit there and they'll have, uh, they'll have a headset on, and, you know, each setup is a little bit different. So the sort of conventional setup will be, you know, you'll go in there, you'll sit down with a dispatcher, they'll have the headset on, they'll have anywhere from four to eight monitors in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on how they have it set up, you may have multiple keyboards and multiple mice. And it's, oh, wow. yeah, it's usually a pretty low lit room. And they want to use the keyboard as much as possible. They don't want to scroll. They don't want to touch the mouse because it, they're, uh, you know, really efficient. Um, and that doesn't work for everybody also. Like there may be, I've been to sites where, you know, they're using the, the mouse, you know, half the time. And I've been to sites where they're using the mouse like 5% of the time. Um, 
so you take that sort of input, um, the sort of environment that that's there, and then you you know juxtapose that to you know a, a firefighter who is inside of a fire truck um, is using a touch device, most likely. Um, it's sort of bouncing around because the the vehicle's moving, and you're at a little bit farther distance. And it could be really bright outside or really really low lit, you know, at midnight or something like that. Um, so you know, trying to find the balance of how we support you know those two really extreme scenarios with you know the general sort of same design language has been uh, you know really challenging and and, and actually really rewarding. So no picking UI kits off of Dribble or anything <laughs> like that. That's not going to work for city uh, city apps like that. No, no, it would not. Um, yeah, it would be one of those things where pretty early on you'd start realizing that, cool, you know, the buttons work most of the time, but pretty much everything else we've got to customize, you know, a good amount. Uh, so yeah. it's been really interesting, you know, figuring that out and working with engineers on that. Um from you know different code bases and trying to keep those things kind of in sync too. Now, because you're working with software for municipalities, how often does accessibility come into play? Uh, pretty often, actually. Um, one of the main things that we need to look out for is uh, people that people that could have any sort of uh, eye condition, you know, colorblind, that sort of thing. Um, we need to you know be really sure that we don't just try to say like, oh, well, if it's a particular color that conveys a message completely. Mm. So it's, you know, hey, if this thing's yellow, that could mean, you know, this is a safety type situation. But when we do that, we would also need to think about, well, what other sort of indicator is there? Is it that this bar is only present on these types of uh, components uh, that would indicate, you know, hey, this is different. This is a safety issue. Or is it adding, you know, like the triangle warning icon along with it, that sort of thing, um, which is pretty straightforward. Um, it just gets a little bit difficult because adding those sort of backup um, indicators can make things really uh, cluttered, which is sort of the, sort of the expectation uh, with, you know, like you said, m- municipal or uh, uh, city applications, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's trying to find that balance of making things accessible while also not cluttering the screen, which is um, pretty difficult. You know, they want to see as much on the screen as possible, uh, but they also want to be able to comprehend it too. So it's kind of striking that balance. Yeah. What have you found since starting all of this has been kind of the biggest challenge for you? Biggest challenge? Um, that's a good question. I would say, um, you know, trying to get a little bit more uh, quantitative data around, uh, you know, usage of buttons and sections of, of applications. Hmm. Uh, as you could probably imagine, cities aren't super keen on allowing you to have a bunch of analytics on their software. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been a little bit challenging doing that. So we've had to uh, sort of make our own data in a sense by, you know, doing benchmarking on existing applications and then, um, you know, gathering that data. And then every time we go out for a usability test, uh, we're asking, you know, general sort of survey follow up questions. You know, how'd you feel about this? Was this easy to do? How would you rate this from one to 10? That sort of thing, uh, as well as recording. Okay. Uh, we took this benchmark of this workflow on the existing software. Uh, and then we did our new workflow and the new UI 
and documenting, okay, it took, you know, 30% less clicks. It took, you know, 18 less seconds to accomplish the same workflow. Um, and then aggregating that as we've done for, you know, about a year and a half now to where we have an, at least enough of a leg to stand on when we make a suggestion about something. Yeah. Uh, but it would be really nice if we had that, you know, more quantitative data uh, so we don't have to sort of go out every time and, and sort of confirm like, okay, this is what we thought and that, you know, that's correct, you know? Yeah. Now you've worked at a couple of other design companies in the San Diego mm-hmm. area. You uh, sort of briefly mentioned that you come came from agency mm-hmm. life to Central Square. I'm curious what what was it about agency life that drew you to, uh, to Central Square? <laughs> that's a good <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so I had been in agencies for I don't know I think four or five years when I first moved to San Diego and. Um, you know, I think agencies are are a really good starting place for designers. Uh, you know, there's a really there's a lot of fast paced work. Um, you're working on a lot of different types of work. Um, you know, fairly often uh, you're dealing with you know customers, and you know, depending on you know the quality of the customer, they could be really difficult or really demanding. Um, so you sort of cut your teeth on on those experiences, and you know the I'm glad I had them, but I, I'm glad I'm not having them any anymore. Uh, I feel like, uh, and every designer is different. So, you know, maybe designers are like, oh, you know, I want to be in an agency for 25 years and that's their thing. But um, for me, you know, I like to, to solve problems and, you know, I, I really can't get very inspired by creating, you know, the same kind of marketing site over and over again. Uh, where, you know, there's a hero image mm-hmm. at the top, there's some sort of navigation, there's some sort of buy now button or do our demo now type button, a bunch of reasons why, and then like a contact us thing at the bottom. So, um, you know, once you've done that for, you know, a number of years, you sort of get tired of it. Um, and I wanted to move more into uh, product life a little bit more too. Um, the sort of projects that I, I really enjoyed the most at agencies uh, were the Projects where we, you know, were able to start an application for for a particular customer, and um, you know, kind of kind of hang with them a little bit. But ultimately, um, with you know most agency projects, uh, you know, they end, and you know, you check on in on them later, and it's you know kind of a crapshoot <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you're like, oh yeah, I did a really good job, and then you'll check out their website, you know, six months later, and it looks completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see like a little bit of what you had in there, but they're using it wrong, and you're just like, man, I, you know, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, I think there's something about that design work that just ends up being it's too ephemeral. It doesn't stick around for long enough for you to really kind of you know put your stamp on it. In yeah. A way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's different in product life though, right? It's, you're, you're doing stuff to where, you know, once you do it, it's not set forever, but you know, there's enough reasoning around it. You've, you've fought enough for that solution to where it's not going to, you know, change in a few months just because someone wanted to change the color or they read an article somewhere that said you should put, you know, a, a newsletter sign up on every page that pops up, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. What else did you learn from those agency experiences? Hmm. Um, I think that's that's when I so 
I'll kind of start with this. So when I first came to to San Diego, I was looking for you know a job, and obviously. And I, I had actually had some uh, development background. So one of the things that I was looking for, I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm looking for a job. So um, ideally, it would be a designer job, but it could also be, you know, an engineering job, at least for the time being. Um, but then I'll, I'll make the switch, you know, to design. So um, I ended up coming out here and, and getting a job as a, a front end developer. Um, it's kind of crazy actually because it was it was a sort of a sight unseen type of deal where i was still you know on the east coast and they i did like a little interview process they say cool yeah you're hired it was like wow okay so uh that was kind of surprising as I, I started at uh this company called believer as a front-end uh developer there and um you know uh, you know i did my time there um that's really when I started to, um, you know, dig into the UX side a little bit more. So um, when I joined on, you know, it was the engineering side and, and the designer side, pretty big disconnect in the middle there. That was around, I think, 2012, uh, maybe, um, 2013, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that was like first when responsive design was kicking in and I had done some responsive projects, uh, you know, designing and developing them. and uh, the first project they actually stuck me on was their first responsive project, and it was super new to them. So they were, I, I, I feel like the this uh, contract was, we'll make a responsive website, and they're like, ah, I don't know what that means. We'll just kind of stick it in there. Uh, so, I, <laughs> so I just kind of got stuck with this, and I was like, well, I think this is how it should work. And uh, the designer I was working with, uh, I think it was probably his first responsive site too. So he had some expectations that, you know, were either a little bit unrealistic or maybe I was still a little bit green as a, as an engineer. So I wasn't quite sure how to, uh, you know, handle that sort of thing. So, you know, from there, I was like, well, there's this really big void of, you know, why are we making these decisions? Because a lot of it was purely, um, you know, superficial, like, oh, that looks really cool. Wouldn't it be cool if dot, 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 like those kind of deals coming out, uh, So I was able to sort of adjust my role a little bit about a year in to where I was still doing front end development, Mm -hmm. but I was also uh, sort of like a UX consultant type person where I would go out and I'd run these workshops with clients and I'd do like a little bit of usability testing um, either through like usertesting.com, like going like a coffee shop, that sort of thing, Uh, because the budget wasn't really big. Uh, You probably know this, but clients don't want to pay for UX work. (laughs) <laughs> like if you just say, <laughs> they Boy, just do want, I know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just want the comp and they would be like, Oh, that looks really cool. Like they don't, they don't understand like, well, we don't know if this is going to work, so we should probably figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so my budget was always like really shoestring be like, okay, you've got about eight hours on this project that do whatever. And it's like, cool. So going through that. And then once I, I did my time there, I, I was able to, you know, go to a company called Grizzly in San Diego and learn a lot again as a, as a front end engineer there. And then, you know, about a year through, uh, make my transition fully to design. Um, you know, there were, you know, like a handful of projects where we're like, Oh, we're kind of late on designers right now. Hey, can you handle this project? Um, and I would do that. And that was, that was one of the main reasons why I actually joined that company. Cause I felt like I had a pretty good shot of, uh, making that transition. Uh, to design at Grizzly mm-hmm. over uh, the company I was at previously. Uh, the company is, well, was called or is called Believer. So the relationship between engineers and and uh, design is uh, 
sort of the relationship that can kind of make or break a project or a product. Um, and sort of being able to live through both sides of that relationship. Uh, and then sometimes also, you know, thinking, hey, this engineer is going to uh, uh, develop this as I'm, uh, you know, once I'm designing or after I design it, only to realize, oh, you know, that engineer actually got pulled to another project. You're going to actually have to engineer what you built or what you designed. Uh, so sort of working that full gamut of, uh, doing engineering, doing design, doing some consultant work uh, has really, you know, shaped my career in a way that, um, you know, I can generally speak to engineers, uh, you know, pretty intelligently and kind of speak the lingo and sort of get that, you know, hey, this guy kind of gets it. He's not going to ask for, you know, the moon and have no idea what it's going to take to actually get there. Um, and I think that's really helped throughout my career. Yeah. What is the design scene like in San Diego? I'm really, I'm really interested <laughs> to know about that. Sure. Um, I'd say there's two sides. So there's product, which uh, is kind of stiff, not a ton of movement there, at least from what I see. How else would I describe that? Um, uh, what, what is out here? I know there's Intuit out here. Uh, I think HP is out here. Um, there's a lot of medical and uh, you know bio companies out here that have designers. Now, as far as what that design work looks like, uh, I, I mean, if you're working for like a biomedical company, I think you can imagine like what that design typically looks like. So, I'd say at least that side of of uh, San Diego is pretty uh, kind of established, a little bit older, uh, kind of stagnant. Um, and then there's you know the agency side of it, which is um, probably a little bit more apparent in uh, San Diego. They're the they're definitely the people that get a lot of the the visibility. Mm -hmm. I have kind of a love hate relationship with it a little bit. So uh, at the agencies that I worked at, you know, those are you know they're like hip, they're trendy, you know, good coffee, that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, working downtown or you know around the downtown areas like those little boroughs. It was it was really cool. I used to go to that when I was at Grizzly. There were uh, two of the, the co-founders were actually uh, the uh, local chapter organizers for Creative Mornings. Um, so I used to to go to that. They would be like, hey, come down. You know, I think it was every, you know, every Friday or one Friday of, of every month, they would have a, a different thing. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Creative Mornings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got them. I mean, we have them here in Atlanta, but I know they're in other cities as well, too. Yeah, so uh, we'd go to that. That was really cool. You know, they'd have like donuts and stuff, coffee. You, you know, have, uh, you know, like an hour or so of, you know, someone talking about their experience and whatever the topic was internationally that month. Um, mm -hmm. Had a good time, met a lot of designers. So that's sort of the the love part of the, of the sort of uh, agency vibe in San Diego. The kind of hate vibe of it is... Um, there's a there's like a particular look of what a designer looks like in San Diego, um, at least a, like a, a hip designer. It's sort of like looking the part over being the part a little bit. Okay, like a hipster like, kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so there's there's kind of there's a lot of hipsters out here, uh, and it, it's cool. Like I, I like going down there and like eating at like a hip restaurant or whatever, but. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of emphasis put on like, hey, do you have that sort of like 
hipster vibe and like taste and that sort of thing a little bit. Um, and I don't really fit mm-hmm. into that. I'm just like, well, I just want to do really good design. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, oh, well, do you kind of look the part? So that's that's a little bit frustrating a little bit. But that's definitely not the case in, in the product world in San Diego. But I mean, in terms of community, do you feel like there's a community there like where you I mean, aside from Creative Mornings that you mentioned, where right. you hear from other designers, you feel like you get to collaborate with other designers. Does that exist there? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably more in the in the agency world again. I know that I'm actually going to a meetup, you know, this Wednesday for it's like a design systems panel. And uh, I think it's in La Jolla, um, which is like a super expensive community, like on the coast. It's it's crazy out there. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a decent community. Um, what is there? There's uh, SDX, which is an organization out here where they have uh, monthly events. They have uh, an event called Interactive Day, which I think is actually next week that they put on. I've gone to that a couple of times, which is really good. They'll attract some uh, speakers from you know around the country. I know uh, a couple of designers came. Um, I don't know if you know uh, Taj Reed. He used to work at uh, Microsoft. I know he spoke there a couple of years ago, uh, collaborated with Grizzly a little bit on a couple of projects. There's a couple other meetups that are out there. Um, San Diego Speakeasy is one. Um, Mm -hmm. There's there's like one meetup that I go to definitely yearly for them when, uh, you know, Jared Spool comes into town. He'll have... Uh, conference that he puts on and um, he'll give like a talk sort of as a lead up to it. So you can go to that. I check that out every year. Um, so I'd say it's a pretty good community. You could, if you go downtown, you could probably spot a designer anywhere <laughs> in any direction you look. Uh, so I wouldn't, I don't think anyone's mistaking it for like San Francisco or anything, but um, uh-huh. there's a lot of designers out here. I'd say primarily in the, in the agency world though. Okay. So you moved out to California for work, but let's talk about where you grew up. I really want to know kind of where you got this spark uh, mm-hmm. for design from. Can you talk talk to me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Well, I, actually, I moved out to, to San Diego because my wife is uh, is from San Diego uh, and she moved oh, okay. to. Yeah. So um, I was finishing up college and she was in San Diego. She moved to, to Delaware, where I'm from, for a few years once I finished uh, my bachelor's degree, and then we moved out to San Diego. That was kind of the deal. She was like, "Hey, as soon as you graduate, we're moving back to San Diego." I was like, "Okay, sounds good to me." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and that and that's when the job came in. Right, I was like, "Well, we're moving, you know, with or without this job." So uh, I was able to secure that. But um, spark for design. Um, yeah, I think. I, I don't know if this is a typical story, but, um, you know, was when I was young, I, I liked to draw a lot. Um, you remember those, uh, those Disney cassette, like the really big plastic ones you'd see like yeah. Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would draw like the backs of those. I would draw like 101 Dalmatians, like Aladdin, like that sort of stuff. So I would draw that and I'd be like into that for hours. Um, I used to have this friend who would like we were really into like wrestling back in the day when I was probably from like five to ten, five to twelve, something like that. Super into it. Like we'd pool our money together and like buy the little pay-per-view and like watch it and stuff. And he would come over and we would always make like a wrestling magazine 
every week. So he wasn't like super good at drawing. So he would come up with like the storylines and I would like draw the wrestlers and like we'd play like matches on like N64 and stuff and like talk about mm-hmm. it. It was like really like deep level like wrestling nerd stuff. Uh, but like I loved it and he loved it too. So like the first sort of entry point, it was like, oh, I really like to draw. And as I, I got a little bit older, um, the high school I went to was called uh, Polytech. They're a vocational school. So, you know, one of the programs that they had was called visual communications. And, you know, at that point, I kind of figured out it's like, well, you know, if I want to do something with art and I want to, you know, be able to make a living, like visual communications kind of seems like the thing to do. Like, I'll still be able to do, you know, um, stuff that's creative and stuff that I'm passionate about. but also be able to move out of my mom's house at some point. Right. So, <laughs> so that's, that's when I first got started with that, um, high school, what you're like 14 or something. And, uh, you know, getting into that class, uh, and picking that particular, uh, vocation at that school, um, you know, really taught me a lot. You know, I, I was pretty advanced once I got into college, I had already learned, you know, how to use Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, pretty much the Adobe suite and had a lot of time to kind of experiment and, you know, we had deadlines and, and you know, projects and that sort of stuff. Like all the basic stuff that you'd get in college, I had already done about three and a half years of. So, uh, you know, I was really prepared when I walked into college to be able to sort of say like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Cool. Yeah, I know how to use this where, you know, they were going over like, here's Photoshop, like open this book and create this thing. So uh, that actually really mm-hmm. prepared me for uh, for college and, you know, the early part of my career. Nice. After high school, you kind of had this knowledge going into it. What was the plan then? I didn't have much of a plan, actually. Uh, <laughs> I took a year off. Uh, my my mom, um, bless her heart, she, she has like a vague idea of what I do. Um, she doesn't really, <laughs> she doesn't really know. Uh, but um, she worked, uh, she worked for the state of Delaware at the time and she saw a job posting open up and she was like, oh, you can like, uh, there's this, there's a spot in the DMV and you can work in the sign shop and you can like design signs or something. And I was like, okay, I'm 18. I like working at, where was I working at the time? Like a Walgreens or something like that. Uh, uh-huh. I'm like, okay, I'll try that out. So I get in there, do the interview, I get the job. I'm like, cool. Where do I start? I'm going to put these, like I see him working and I talk to the guys and I look at it, and it's like pretty cool. Like they're using like Illustrator and stuff to make, and I'm talking like street signs. And maybe it's the occasional um, new park type sign where you get to do kind of coolish stuff. Yeah. For the most part, it's like street, like stop signs and stuff. So I'm like, okay. And like people are sitting at computers and, you know, they've got like the vinyl cutter over there. They're like, you know, saying, okay, you know, start cut. It's not print, but I forget what, what the actual term of it is, but they'll start it and like, it'll start cutting out the, the letters and stuff. And then the next phase is, you know, taking that vinyl and laying it out on the metal and all that. Um, I thought that's what I was going to be doing. Uh, I was like, okay, this is all right. Until I figure out what I want to do. Uh, I was wrong. I wasn't doing that. I was actually cutting, <laughs> I was cutting the metal that they were going to be putting uh, the vinyl and stuff on. So I was like, wow, this is, this is not what I expected. Uh, it was kind of cool, though. You know, I 
you know, I got to learn how to use one of those like super big, like hydraulic sheet cutting machines and how to like brush metal and stuff. Oh, nice. Uh, so that was kind of cool. It was, it was an interesting experience. Um, being able to do that stuff, um, learning from people that were there. That was kind of cool. That's, that's kind of what happened directly, uh, out of high school. Uh, and then I actually got a job at a, at a print, like a, like a mom and pop print company. Um, uh-huh. man, I feel like I'm dating myself. Like who works at a print company now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> You'd be surprised. Still a lot of print out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, yeah, it's a pretty small company. <laughs> it's a super small company, but, uh, no, it's cool. Um, they, they allowed me to have pretty flexible hours to, to get my degree. And, you know, it was a really crazy environment. I think that pre- prepared me a lot too. It was, um, it could be your day was super unpredictable because people just walk in and, you know, my job was, uh, as I, I guess a graphic designer there. So, uh, you know, people would come in with anything. They would say, Oh, I need to get this like church bulletin designed and printed by, friday or something Mm -hmm. so you'd have those sort of people walk in um if you weren't busy and everyone else was busy maybe someone would come in but like oh i need a thousand flyers or something there's a there's this one guy this dj that would come in all the time his name was his name dj swerve that was (laughs) nice dj swerve you would come in now that would be dating if anything dj swerve oh Oh, yeah yeah. (laughs) You know, the, that isn't even the most dating thing about that guy. He would always have, he would always be like, make sure it says grown and sexy on it. Like, okay, man. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, come on down, DJ Swerve. Keep it grown and sexy. He like say stuff like that. Oh, like, my God. Okay. okay, bro. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I could be doing that. Like, oh, let me get that on the canary or something. Like, okay. So you'd be doing that. Uh, or, Another scenario where, you know, you're not busy and everybody else is busy. Someone can come in and be like, oh, I need to ship this to like Beijing or something. So like sort of working all those angles and like juggling that stuff as someone that's like, I guess like probably 19 at the time, um, you know, taught me a lot. Taught me about, you know, um, sort of keeping your cool and being sort of level headed and and being able to sort of adapt to a lot of different situations because uh, it's kind of crazy in there, you know, uh, and then actually saying, like, OK, leaving at five and then driving up uh, to the university that I went to and, you know, being in class for a few hours and getting home at like 10, 11 o'clock. So it would be kind of brutal to try to do that now. But in the moment, it just felt like what I needed to do. You know, you don't after you get in that routine a little bit, you're not really thinking about like how crazy long your day is. You're just like, well, this is what it is. So, yeah. So who are some of your influences? Who or what I should say are some of your influences now as a designer? Uh, Now as a designer. Um, let me see. That's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that one. I can tell you who was influencing uh, when I first kind of started. I feel like everyone okay. kind of creates these lists or, well, maybe they don't. At, at least uh, I've sort of created a list of people that I kind of followed a little bit early on. And I still follow now a little bit. Um, no, early on, it was it was kind of uh, engineer based because I was still a little bit green there. And I was like, oh, man, I got to learn how to do this stuff. And you know, on the East Coast at the time, the thought was if you wanted to design, you're actually going to need to know how to like code it at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. That was wrong, uh, but it was a good experience. Um, 
so like one of the people that I I followed a lot uh, back in the day was uh, Chris Coyer, the mm. dude that runs uh, CSS Tricks. Yeah. So I learned a lot, like a ton of my CSS from that guy. Um, I used to listen to uh, the Shop Talk Show. That was a podcast that they had. I would listen to that a lot with a guy named uh, Chris Coyer and Dave Rupert. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, one of the designers that I, I was uh, you know following then and, and you know following now a little bit is uh, Dan Mall. Uh, used to, uh, I think he lives in, in Philadelphia. I think he's in that Philly area. Um, he used to work. Where did he, he used to work at some agency that was pretty pretty popular like i think like jason santa maria came out of there um jen lucas came out of there she's a she's a front-end developer um Mm -hmm. so i used to i used to follow him quite a bit i think he's at uh he runs his own like agency now called super friendly uh yep saw him in san diego a couple years ago he gave a talk so that was cool so i'd say i'd say Man, I, sh- I need to get a better list of designers. I'm not going to check my Twitter right now. I have a bunch of. This. <laughs> uh, let me see. Yeah, I, I can't think of too many. I know it's I know, you know, Dan Maul, Chris Coyer, Dave Rupert. Those two last two dudes are, are engineers. Um, I know I follow like a couple people from like Facebook with like Julie's a. Julie Zoe, I think, something like that. Uh, yeah. She's like a manager at Facebook, so uh, I follow her a little bit. Um, I'd say it's a pretty, it's a pretty mixed bag now of you know designers, design managers, uh, front end developers. Uh, since that's kind of uh, you know my mixture of a background, that's kind of the people that I that I tend to follow. Okay. So, what are you most excited about at the moment when you look at your work? You look at your career. Is there anything in particular that you're like super excited about right now? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, recently I, uh, actually got a promotion, so I'm moving into a principal, uh, designer role. So, uh, that's going to allow me to, uh, take a step back a little bit from, you know, uh, you know, in the thick of it of, uh, you know, um, products. So, I'm going to be able to, you know, take a step back and kind of focus on some of the design systems work that I've been uh, spearheading, as well as, you know, work with the uh, labs team that we have. So we're going to be doing a little bit more uh, future-facing, innovative uh, type things with, you know, like machine learning, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so that should be really interesting to get into. Um, that's probably the main thing right now. Um, also, I think I'm going to be getting into a little bit more mobile design coming up here soon. So uh, I've got a little bit of experience with that, but uh, you know, not as much as I'd like. So uh, taking the design system and, and making sure that uh, things are going to work on uh, more of a, a mobile uh, experience. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, things are able to scale down and that sort of thing now. But, uh, you know, recently I tried to just start based on the design system that we've created and you know things are a little bit out of proportion they're not fitting in as you'd expect on a, as, as part of a mobile experience so um, you know making those adjustments that's sort of the next wave of, uh, of the design system we've created so uh, pretty excited about that do you have a dream project or anything that you'd love to do doesn't necessarily have to be work related but mm-hmm. just in general is there any kind of project you'd love to work on huh yeah, you know, I've uh, I've kind of toyed around with this a little bit, and I guess I don't really have a reason for why I haven't done it outside of you know, 
me generally being a procrastinator and probably lazy, but I've always wanted to like anytime like Black History Month comes up, uh, I love uh, going on Twitter. I forget who does it. I think uh, it's it's like some author out there, uh, or at least so like like retweet them or like them or something, and I'll see them. Uh, but they'll do um, they'll do a spotlight on like a, a particular African-American person and they'll talk about, oh, this was the first African-American engineer, or not engineer, but like a surgeon. And they actually, you know, created the first, or they did the first successful heart bypass surgery or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I always think those things are really interesting. And um, I've always thought, or I guess probably the last year, so I was like, man, I'd really like to create a website where um, like, and not just, during Black History Month where it's like, hey, these are all these things that have been done by, you know, minorities that you don't even think about. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, not the light bulb, but like something else. Like, well, maybe the light bulb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, they'll they'll be focusing on, you know, particular things. And I, I just, I don't know. I, it's something that I, I think I'd like to do at some point. I've thought about um, just being able to spotlight minorities and and the things that have that have been done by them. Cause I think um, those things kind of get lost in history a little bit. And I think, um, you know, having this be a little bit more forward facing and um, yeah, I, th- I think there's like a couple of websites out there, but they're not uh, super well designed. And mm-hmm. I think there's like a couple of things that could be really cool, you know, to kind of add to it and, and make it a little bit easier to find those things. So that's something that I'd, I'd like to do. Well, I mean, there's no shortage of them. So if you want to do your own, you definitely can, can jump in there. It's funny when you said that I was thinking of this site called, uh, black in history. Mm. And like the, the guy who does it, his name is Alex Pierce. So we've, we've had on revision path, my God, five ish years ago, I think Uh, we had him back a while ago, but it was basically, I think a Tumblr site. Mm. I think he still has it on Tumblr. And so every time you go, you'll see a different, uh, person of color there, different black person, mm-hmm. you know, put a finer point on it. So you would go and you'd maybe see Shirley Chisholm or mm-hmm. you would see Dorothy Hyde or you'd see like Langston Hughes or something like that. And it was like super well designed. I think he's gotten definitely some design awards for it. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, there's no shortage of those sites out there. I think definitely adding to that is only a good thing. So, you know, maybe in the future, you make that happen yeah yeah it'd be nice it's one of those things where it's uh you know a passion project you know uh, i just hope i don't yeah. fall into my uh usual sort of pattern i think it's pretty typical like if you recreate your own website and you have like a blog on it or something you're like oh man i'm gonna start blogging as soon as i make that website where i can blog and then you do it and then you don't actually blog on it uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, as long as i don't fall into that trap i think i'll be all right yeah yeah, I, I had to stop telling myself that I was going to do a blog. Like, I have a Tumblr mm-hmm. that I update like every now and then, but I don't, I don't fool myself with thinking I'm going to have time, have enough time really <laughs> to do like long form writing about things. I would love to. I just don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually easier for me these days to just talk about it than to write it. Mm-hmm. So I, I get what you're saying. Like, my current site right now is basically it's mostly just an information site. Like you can get my bio on there. I've got something on there about consulting. I do have one page that I update every so often. um, And I just call it my now page. Mm. 
and I let people know this is what I'm working on right now. So if you contact me about anything, I'm just going to point you to my now page. And if what you're asking for doesn't match with what I'm currently doing, then the answer is no. Yeah. Like, cause it's just really a time thing. I mean, the work that I do at glitch takes up a lot of time. The other projects I do outside of work take a lot of time. So now what I try to do is just, you know, how does, how does Maxine water say you try to like reclaim your time. when you can. So <laughs> yeah, that that's what I'm trying to do. So I definitely understand that. Yeah. When you look back at your career, what do you wish you would have known when you got started? Um, hmm. That's a good question. You know, I, I've thought about this a little bit and in general, I, I kind of go back to the thought of, you know, when I was getting my degree and thinking, um, you know, Hey, I need to get a job here at some point. I need to make, I, I got to start paying these student loans back here soon. I got to figure this out. I can't work in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't work at this, uh, you know, printing shop and, and afford these payments. Uh, so, you know, when I was, I was looking for a job, I think it was like simply hired or indeed or something. I would set up like a little notification and it would, uh, I set one up for, uh, graphic design and web design and, for you know every day they'd send me emails and i'd get uh you know maybe three hits on graphic design i'd open up the email to those oh, three jobs in the sort of philly maryland virginia kind of area because i was one to step move out a little bit at least at that point right so i saw that and i was like okay and then i would look at the um the web design one there'd be like 50 new jobs a day and i'm like wow this is crazy okay uh but like i said earlier like all of them would say like hey it'd be really cool if you could like code these too uh so i had kind of a bit of uh you know misinformation at that point you know early on so you know i um i kind of tell my at least i used to tell myself like well if i would have just gotten into design a little bit earlier instead of thinking i had to go in in the engineering route as kind of the only option at the time um you know maybe that would have you know you know, I probably would have advanced a little bit more. Like I did that for around four ish years. Um, but you know, at the same time, I, you really can't, um, you know, get those experiences, you know, back. And I, I feel like, you know, it's ultimately led me to where I am now. And, you know, it's a strong part of, you know, what I sort of bring to the table is, is being that person that, you know, has a really deep understanding of what it sort of takes, uh, to be an engineer. So, um, yeah, that's what I would probably used to say as far as now, I don't know, maybe just try to get into product a little bit earlier on, uh, because I find it, you know, significantly more interesting than, uh, you know, agency life probably would have tried to get in that product world a little bit earlier. What's next for you? Like, where do you see yourself in the next few years? Oh man, I never know how to answer that question. I get, I would get asked that at work and I'd be like, I don't know, kind of like what I do now. And like, I don't, that's probably not the question that they're looking for, uh, or the answer that they're looking for. But, um, you know, I, um, like I said, I'm starting a new role here soon. So, um, I really like the idea of, of what that's going to bring. Um, you know, not being as in the nitty gritty a little bit and, you know, being able to, you know, mentor designers a little bit more, kind of like I'm doing now, um, be able to, you know, level people up and, and, and see how their career is progressing a little bit. Um, you know, that's mm-hmm. something that, um, is is a little bit challenging and i think it you know that's probably the way it goes but uh you know i think it's rewarding at the same time so um i'd say you know that's kind of next doing a little bit more mentoring a little bit less you know hands-on uh design work as far as you know the day-to-day 
um, and being able to work on kind of special projects, that sort of thing. Um, probably reading a lot more, not necessarily manager books, but sort of seeing where that fits in that space. Mm-hmm. In general, I think I'm, I'm probably more of the individual contributor role versus, you know, manager role in that sense. But I think anything's possible in the future. Um, I think when you look at it and in terms of the sort of path that you can take, you know, once you're, I guess it kind of goes like associate designer, mid-level, senior, uh, either a principal or a lead at that point, and then it's director, and then past that, it's kind of, you know, who's, who knows if I'll get there, but I guess at that point, it's like VP or something, right? So I guess, you know, I guess that's the path. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll see if I sort of fit in that manager, that director role at some point. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, design roles are tricky, though, because it, it varies so much based on, and the reason I'm mentioning that, I mean, it varies so much based on where you go, because- yeah. Yeah. We just came off our annual onsite, and one of the, I would say, surprising things I heard, but from like members on our team, is that they would prefer to just be individual contributors. They don't necessarily want to go into management, but it seems like that's the role that a lot of these types of positions take. You're going from individual contributor to management, whereas some people just want to be, you know, strong individual contributors. That's what they like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was joking with my coworker the other day. Because it feels like, uh, you know, does, if you don't go that route and you, if you try to stay an individual, individual contributor, I mean, I don't see like a ton of like 50 year old individual contributor designers. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh man, what do you, what do you do there? We always kind of joke like, man, we're just going to get like sort of phased out and you have to figure out something else. And I was like, yeah, I think, uh, I think once I'm done with design, I'll be like a barber or something. I just like completely switch it up, you know, it's like, man, I don't know. I just can't see myself being, you know, like 50 and like still doing this. Design is one of those things where you don't age super gracefully. Mm. So, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'll be 45 and be like, nah, man, I still got it. Like, let's keep going. But that's just sort of my thought and just sort of thinking about like, man, what comes next after that if I don't want to move into a manager role? And for me, that's, I don't know, maybe I'll be a barber or something, a cook, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean, it's nothing wrong with being a barber. Yeah. I mean, everybody got to get their haircut, yeah. hopefully, yeah. at some point. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting you mentioned that. I remember seeing this thread, I think it was on Designer News, about what designers after 40 do. And it was amazing the range of responses. Um, some people want to just be individual contributors. Some want to move into management. Some feel like if you're still designing at 40, then you need to, like, start your own business or get out of the Mm -hmm. business or something. It was really interesting kind of seeing the range of that because it also talked about, well, what do you do for like saving up for retirement? Because whether you're at an agency or you're working, you know, in-house somewhere, sometimes that can really vary. Mm -hmm. If you freelance for a long time and you haven't built that structure up, um, what do you do when you're in your forties and fifties and you're still designing because you're kind of playing catch up in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that I don't think is talked about enough in the industry right now. Certainly I think of course, a lot of the, um, the talent skews young. They want people right out of school, fresh out of school, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly with the advent of technology, that means people are able to get into this younger and younger, but it also means people can get into it at any time, at any age and still continue to do Mm -hmm. it. Um, and you'll be in your, you know, your older ages, you know, 40, 50, et cetera, and still be able to viably contribute work. But of course there's ageism in the industry mm-hmm. and 
there's, there's a there's a whole number of factors. I, I I anticipate this being a topic that will be brought up a lot more probably within the next four to five years because it's something that I think this industry right now has not really reckoned on. I mean, a lot of these like Silicon Valley ish startup <laughs> companies are you know, getting larger, get, they're getting older themselves, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a valid, uh, it's a valid point of discussion, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. There's, there's, uh, there's, uh, you know, Bay Area companies, they, at least I, I feel like when a startup first is created, they always have like a bunch of young people in there uh-huh. for a couple of reasons, right? You, generally you can pay them less and, um, they don't really know their value yet. I guess that's the same as paying them less, but I remember like super. And, and you can work them longer too. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. They just feel sort of happy to be there. Like, oh man, they gave me like free beer. Like, cool. I'll just stay here all night, whatever it takes, you oh, know? Oh God. And that was, that was sort of like my mentality <laughs> when I first got to San Diego. I was like, cool. Yeah. Like I, I'll get it done, you know? And yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's a good attitude to have. But you know, as you get older, you're like, you know, that's not really going to yeah. work. You know, I got bills. I can't, yeah, I got a mortgage now. I can't like work. I can't work until, you know, midnight or come in on a Saturday, like super frequently. Uh, you're going to have to, right, you right. have to make, make us some adjustments there. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of those questions where, you know, who knows what, what I'll be doing in, in, I guess 20 years now. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> something we all need to, to start thinking about. Like, what does that next chapter look like? Yeah. Um, cause I, I know, you know, 40 and 50 year old freelancers that are still out there. And it's like, how? Yeah. How, like, how are you doing it? Is, is this working? I'm just curious. Yeah. I, I know that this conversation is going to come up more. So, um, I'm glad at least we're able to kind of talk about it a little bit now here. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah just to, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, with, I think, yeah, I think at some point this, there's definitely a swell of, of people that are getting a little bit older because you think about, you know, when design on the internet has been, you know, something that is really, you know, hit the ground running. Um, I don't know. What would you say? Like late 90s, early 2000s is when people kind of yeah. really started making stuff on the internet. Um, that's, that's a, that sounds about right because a lot of that was trying to adapt like print based mm-hmm. design style. I mean, this is back when people were still using tables. Tables, oh yeah. But like, Rounded yeah, like, backs, like, yeah. Right. <laughs> Spacers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, like trying to use those, uh, kind of print based, you know, artifacts in a mm-hmm. way in order to kind of map that onto the web. And my goodness, I remember I was working at AT&T at the time and, the big shift that we were going to was switching from table-based layout to CSS layout. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you could have turned the world upside down. People were so incensed about it. Like yeah. you definitely had a camp of people that were just going to do tables and you had a camp that wanted to at least kind of transition into CSS and wanted to see how it would work. And even now, I think the old style of CSS is now kind of being deprecated in, uh, in favor of mm-hmm. uh, preprocessors yeah. and Flexbox and the grid, which that was about the time I stopped doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had my own studio, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can tap out right here. This is good. Yeah. Like, if I can find someone that can do this, that's great. But nah, I'm, I'm good. So, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I got out around then too. Like, um, I don't know, like a year into Flexbox or something. That's when I, 
I was like, okay, I'm just doing strict design. And not, not because I, I couldn't do it anymore, but I definitely felt like a certain amount of anxiety about being an engineer, mm. you know, cause I didn't go to school for engineering. I went for uh, multimedia design. So I didn't have like a CS degree. Some a lot of it's just like putting it a bunch of time, like trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. So once it got to like, you know, Hey, there's like a new JavaScript framework that comes out like every three months. And like, we want you to have a bunch of experience on it. You know, I just felt like a <laughs> bunch of anxiety around like, man, do I know enough? Like you never feel like you know enough in those positions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's funny. Um, I'll have some sort of greenish engineers kind of come to me and say like, Hey, how would you do this? Like, how would you do this in like CSS? And I would, I would be like, Oh yeah. So I would do a float here and do this and do that. But like, Oh, you wouldn't just use a grid. I'm like, I don't really know how to use that. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> or like, I'll be looking at code cause I'll be QAing a little bit and be like, Oh, this is what they're using. This is kind of interesting. I mean, I sort of know what it means, but like, I, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of new stuff out there now. Mm hmm. Well, Brett, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Uh, yeah. So speaking of redoing your website, uh, I've, I have this website in place now. and I don't think I'm ever going to change it again because I is zero maintenance. Uh, so my website is brett-marshall.com. Um, it, okay. It's just a collection of links. It has you know, like my Medium uh, link on there, like LinkedIn um, what else on there? Dribble, that sort of thing. So, uh, haven't contributed to Dribble like in a little bit, like a year or so. So, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll put some recreational stuff, or maybe once we can actually, you know, put some of this stuff out here publicly with Central Square, maybe I'll update that a little bit. Nice. Well, Brett Marshall, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, first off, just thank you for talking about the work that you're doing around doing UI for you know, municipalities, apps, and things like that. Because I think uh, for designers, certainly, if anything, the last few years have shown us is that design is very important as it relates to, I think, uh, government and civic types of things, mm -hmm. whether it's misinformation campaigns or <laughs> fake news or anything mm -hmm. like that, or even voting. Let's, you know, to be completely honest, mm -hmm. you know, talking about voting interfaces and stuff, we're seeing that these are areas which have might have been neglected by design where it's starting to fail us in some very fundamental ways. So I'm really glad that, you know, you're doing the work on this and that hopefully this will inspire others to uh, to look at doing UI work as well. But other than that, just thank you for sharing your story, uh, for talking about your work. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. No, I appreciate it. Appreciate you for having me on. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Brett Marshall and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Brett and his work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash revision path. Revision path is a glitch media network podcast and is produced by Deanna Testa and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by music man Dre with intro and outro music by yellow speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or so to do, and it really, really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. I'm talking worldwide. You can also find us on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on SoundCloud, 
or just about anywhere where you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.